Well, thank you so much, Jerry. Thank you, band and singers, for helping us be in God's presence. And to be able to articulate that last refrain together about how special God's church is and how we pray for His church to flourish and to advance His kingdom. I love the church. It's the bride of Christ. It's the people of God. I'll uh, forever be grateful for what the church has done for me, in me, and in recent years that I, I get to do through the church. Having said that, sometimes the church is a difficult place. It's a broken place. It's a busted place. Amen? You seen that? I um, have been doing this for 31 years. And I uh, have some memories and I've had some experiences that are just heartbreaking. I've been in church business meetings where one side of the room was literally yelling at the other side of the room. And then they were yelling back over something of not much significance at all. I had a conversation with a guy in his 50s one time who had been extremely involved in the church. had been a leader in the church. And uh, before I arrived in his uh, former home church in town, um, he had somehow and for some reason dropped out. And so I paid a visit on him one time and I said, what happened? Why, why is the church no longer meaningful to you and you won't come to our church or to any other church in town? And he gave me the sordid details of the story of my predecessor who had involved him into some kind of failed business venture, and he lost over $100,000. And he was so embittered. He was so angry at my predecessor and what he represented with respect to the church. He was never going to darken the door again. I know about bookkeepers that have embezzled tens of thousands of dollars. I have seen uh, college students absolutely... Uh, bewildered by a father who had been a church leader and uh, a church church spokesman, but later had an affair with a woman that was in the church and left his family, left his kids, and ran off with the other woman. I could go on and on and on. Uh, so we know that many times and in many ways the church is busted, it's broken, and uh, it can result in some very hurtful painful, wounding things in our lives. And it kind of begs the question, why would anybody then take the step that some of our friends did today to say, I'm going to be a member of this church. I'm going to make a commitment to what God wants to do through His church. Well, the fact of the matter is, marriages sometimes bring a lot of pain. Being a parent can sometimes bring a lot of pain. What goes on in your work world can bring a lot of wounding and, and, and hurtful experiences. Your social experiences, your social circles can be painful to you. But we don't discard all those other things because we know that there's a flip side. There's the possibility for blessing. There's the possibility for encouragement. There's the possibility for a fulfilling, a stirring, even loving kind of thing to take place for us in those other arenas. And so it is with the church. And that's why we're spending these days... I can't advance. Guys, you got me frozen? Thank you. 
That's why we're spending these days talking about the doctrine of the church. We want to know what's God up to with His church. What's it mean to be a biblical church? And today, specifically, we're talking about what is a healthy church. What's it look like for a church to not be sick and therefore hurtful, but to be healthy and therefore helpful and a blessing and encouragement. And we're going to be uh, looking at a number of biblical uh, references today, but the main one we'll spend a little time in is Ephesians chapter 4. And the book of Ephesians, if you're not familiar with it, is a wonderful New Testament book. Very brief, just six chapters. The uh, first three are, are highly theological and give us some of the richness of what our faith is about. And then the last three chapters are very practical. It tells us about how wives get along with husbands, and husbands get along with wives, and parents with their, their children, and so on like that. It's filled with a lot of practicality. And we're going to be looking at some of that with respect to the church as we look in chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's only one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, uh, when you were called one Lord. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So, yes, I forgot my glasses today. Sorry about that. What does a healthy church look like? Let me mention just a few items to you, and we want to talk about them a little bit along the way. And then we'll wrap it up, okay? The first thing is this. A healthy church looks like a group of men and women who have committed themselves to the Scriptures as the final authority. The Scriptures are the final authority on everything. You go, oh, I don't even know what I think about the, the, the Bible. I don't even know how much credibility I can give it. Well, that's another talk for another day to talk about the veracity and the uh, authority and the authenticity of the Scriptures uh, I can make the case well. The book that we give away, The Case for Faith, will make that well. Um, but having said that, let me just say this. Everybody has some kind of authority under which they defer their lives and their decision-making process. Everybody has some kind of authority like that. And for Americans, most of the time, that final authority is self. What I think. What I feel. And how many of you know that's not always the most reliable, intelligent, wise point of reference? Do you know that? Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Sherry and I uh, celebrated our 31st wedding anniversary. And we went to a restaurant, and as we sat down to eat, uh, as is my habit for anniversaries, birthdays, and whatever, I normally have conversations that revolve around reflections over what's gone on over the years. And so I was getting ready to have that kind of conversation Yes, to ask some questions. And uh, suddenly I was flooded with a bunch of memories from our 31 years. And the first thing that came out of my mouth as we had just made our order and we were sitting by this lakeside and enjoying the view 
I said, you know, I just have to say how sorry I am. And, you know, here we are at this celebration, and we're looking nice, and we just ordered a good meal and everything. And Sherry's like, what? And I said, I just have to say I'm sorry. Because I've just been flooded with a series of memories about how stubborn I had been at times and self-willed and uptight and not very fun. And you go, well, what's changed? Well, um, you should have known me then. You know. And so if that's true for me, I bet to some degree that's true for you. I mean, just think 10 years ago. Some of the thoughts that you had, some of the decisions that you made, now that you're 10 years removed from that, can you not look back and you go, wow, I had a limited worldview or I had a limited sense of wisdom about this. I wish I had done this differently, decided about that differently. And if that's true for what happened 10 years ago, and I know you're totally on top of life now, but 10 years from now, you'll look back on today and there's a few things that you'll be going, oops, what was that? It just does not serve us or anyone else well for us to be the final authority about anything. You go, yeah, but there's wisdom in the collective thought and voices of many. Really? We call that culture. Anybody remember the 80s? Oh, there's a great decade. The collective thinking and the collective voice of the American culture at that time just steeped in greed and self-centeredness and self-willed and... Uh, you know, you look and you go back to the 70s. I know I'm dating myself now, but then you just laugh at some of that stuff. It's just ridiculous. So, no, you don't want to be the final authority in your life. You don't want the collective voice of our culture to be the authority in your life. I make the case for the scriptures to be the final authority in everything. Healthy men and women, healthy churches do that. Secondly, you'll find that healthy men and women that make up a healthy church have Jesus as life's ultimate treasure. Life's ultimate treasure. What's best, first, most esteemed in your life? See, I'm not talking about some kind of abstract Christian behavior or moralism. That's not the treasure. Behaving a certain kind of way, maintaining a certain kind of ethic. That's not the treasure. The treasure is the person of Jesus who is so gracious and magnanimous that he would allow us to have relationship with himself. To really know him is to love him. To love him is to be transformed by him. And so he is the ultimate treasure. In third place... A healthy church made up of healthy men and women have an obedience to Christ's ordinances. And that's normative. That's not exceptional, like super-Christian. No, that's the norm. And so, because we're taken with Jesus and by Jesus, and He is our ultimate treasure, we cannot but help to ooze His presence. And in the overflow of life's experience, to share his person with others. And when that happens, and the Bible says that Jesus is lifted up and others are drawn to him, then conversions and new births take place. And therefore, the church has baptisms to identify that person with Jesus. 
And so ordinances like baptism regularly take place. Ordinances like the Lord's Supper regularly take place because we commune with Him. We delight in Him. We want to celebrate in that heart-to-heart connect that is our privilege with Him. And in the fourth place, a healthy church is made up of men and women that have a wholehearted love for one another, that truly engage one another. Some of the horror stories that I shared a moment ago and and the many that are probably a part of your history and that you've seen or heard about through the years can lead some people to the conclusion that um, I don't think that I want to have a wholehearted engagement of other people. I think I want to go to a big church. I think I want to be anonymous. I think I want to be where people don't really know me that well and I don't know them. And I can just kind of slip in and slip out and have a little religious hit and that'll be it and it's over. Rather than the risk of somebody knowing me and me letting them down or me knowing them and they let me down or we hurt each other. You see, it was God's intent that as we have this wholehearted engagement with one another, where we are giving our lives away on behalf of one another, that we learn how to forgive one another, that we learn how to be long-suffering and patient with one another. And that in the context of those relationships, He's able to do a transforming thing on us as we're up close and personal with each other. And then in the fifth place, a healthy church looks like open-handed generosity. That's that's what characterizes us. As you look at uh, Acts chapter 2, and the church began to pool the resources to be a blessing to others, as you hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, to do unto others, and as you do, you're doing it to me, he would say. That would characterize us, an open-handed generosity. Now, that kind of flies in the face of American evangelicalism, right? You know this. In American evangelicalism, we'd kind of like to be able to come in the door and be warmly greeted with a latte, and we're able to go to whatever seat of our choice and sit down, press the button, and it gently vibrate. And then the... uh, Speaker, I don't know that we need a preacher, would be able to give uh, a compelling, entertaining, uh, you know, stirring kind of conversation for about nine minutes, uh, never making me feel badly about my life. And then the music could be done professionally and have some pop to it and, 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 and kind of stir me around, but not be overpowering, you know. Uh, and meanwhile, I want my kids to have a Disneyland-type experience in the children's department. I want them to get a T-shirt, a little face paint, and, and to uh, uh, learn how to obey mom and dad. right? And then we're all able to exit together in less than 60 minutes, uh, having a, had a wonderful time. You know, that's, that's American evangelicalism. And what Jesus says is that that's not my church. My church, my body, will call forth from your life. I'll ask you to empty yourself, spend yourself, give yourself in my name. Therefore, 
I'm going to ask you not to use all your time on yourself. Have margin so that you can use some time for others. I'm going to ask that you not spend all your money and use all your resource on yourself. But have it for others. That's what healthy men and women that make up a healthy church look like. And in the sixth place, a healthy church looks like those who seriously pursue a life of holiness. Seriously pursue a life of holiness. Now let me give you a couple of contrasting pictures, neither one of which depict holiness, all right? If you ever, uh, you know, you're out on vacation or you've made a move and you're about to find a new church home and you walk into a place where everybody looks perfect, forget it. You know, where mom and dad get out of the car and they're sharply and crisply dressed and they've got this huge smile plastered on their face and they're holding hands and the children are just coming right along sharply and, and, and crisply pressed and everyone's just so happy to be with each other and now to be at church and they don't have any problem in life. And you walk in and every other person looks like that. Friends, that's a place called Stepford. <laughs> That's not church. And if they were that mature, then they would be having their lives spent in such a way that they were befriending and, and making an impact on messy people who would be on their arm and coming in the door with them. Conversely, you walk into that place that is so laid back and takes sin so not seriously, you got to watch out for that because uh, they, they make much of, you know, Jesus just loves us. You know, you can do basically whatever you want to do. He's going to forgive you because he just loves you. And if you take sin with that kind of attitude, basically presuming on the grace and the forgiveness of our Lord, then and hear me carefully. You probably, probably don't know Him to presume on His grace in that kind of way. In fact, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, what? Shall we sin all the more that grace would abound? God forbid. May it never be, Paul said. So seriously, pursue a life of holiness. Seriously, uh, want to have the life that Jesus lived and will practice uh, the various disciplines that build that kind of life, cooperating with the Spirit of God at work in you and His transforming effects. And then in the seventh place, what's a healthy church look like? It looks like men and women who carefully avoid foolishness. Carefully avoid foolishness. See, the fact of the matter is, a lot of us live on the edge of sin, of fallenness, of futility. Now, we, we could live way over here, right? And sin's over there? No, no. We go over here to the edge, right? Just right next to it. it it's kind of like Adam and Eve. In the Garden of Eden, and God says, you can eat of any tree you want to anywhere. Have at it, except for this one tree. Okay, that one's forbidden to you. And so it's like every day, Adam and Eve would go to the forbidden tree, 
And just look. Just look every day. What happened eventually? Well, eventually there's not, not just looking. There's taking and consuming and rebelling. And so it is with us when we live close to the edge. Healthy churches made up of healthy men and women avoid foolishness. Uh, they're very careful about what their entertainment is like. Is their entertainment filled with immorality and sinful kinds of things? Is that how I entertain myself? Careful with their conversation, with uh, humor and flirtatious things that go on around them. Careful, careful, careful. Not uptight, not stodgy and prudish and all that. Careful and wise. Speaking of in the eighth place, wisely using their Christian freedom. Man, we are so free. We have been blessed. We have been given life. We have been given liberty in Christ. But that doesn't mean we get to exploit that or flaunt that in the face of others who are not as free. So the fact of the matter is, uh, later this week, we have a team of people, of our friends, that are going to Russia. And the social and cultural context that they're going to go to in Russia is significantly more conservative than what it is right here. And our team, who love the Lord and want to serve Him and want to bless our new friends and partners in Russia, will be choosing to limit their freedoms and limit their behaviors in ways that they don't have to here. And there's nothing sinful or wrong about it, but it could be a cause of stumbling and confusion for our friends over there. Do you follow what I'm saying? This is all based upon what Paul tried to describe and, and clarify in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where a number of new Christ followers that didn't have a strong Jewish background had no problem eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Now, in pagan religions, they would you know, take an animal, sacrifice it to their false god, and of course in the process it'd be over fire and get cooked, and they'd then take that meat to the market and sell it. And a Jew would never touch that meat, because in the Jewish mind, that was uh, blasphemous to God and an insult to God. But these Gentile Christians came along, and they, they didn't... They weren't stumbled by that. They weren't caused uh, to be offended by that. And so they'd go to the market and they'd buy this meat. And their Jewish Christian friends would be uh, scandalized by that. And so Paul said, you know what, you're free to eat that meat. But let me encourage you that when you're Jew with your Jewish friends, don't. Just hold back on that freedom for their sake. Listen, when I came along and began to serve God in the church... Uh, one of my first roles was as a youth pastor in West Tennessee. And as I was lining up a summer calendar of activities for the kids of things that we were going to do, I had several older adults come to me and say, Now, Pastor Scott, we just want to make sure that as you lay your plans for these kids this summer, you're not going to have any mixed bathing, right? And I'm going to tell you, as an 18-year-old, I was like, What? Never. I would never have kids together in the bathtub. I had no idea what mixed bathing was. But in their mind, guys and girls never swim together. The lake, the pool, wherever. 
There's guy time to swim, girl time to swim. That's, that's what I came up in when I began to serve in the church. And so, I didn't have any problem with that. I'd grown up going to the swimming pool with friends of the opposite sex, but I totally uh, respected their concerns about that. But I also came up in a context where uh, if you were a good Christian, you didn't ever play cards. You never went to movies. You didn't go to a dance, which wasn't a problem to me since I couldn't anyway. You know, I didn't have that kind of movement ability. But anyway, there's no scriptural verses that says, Thou shalt not dance. Thou shalt not play cards. There, there's no verses like that. So we're free to do those things. But in certain cultural contexts, those were very, very problematic. And so healthy churches made up of healthy men and women who have all liberty and freedom limit by their own choosing and God's directing those freedoms for various purposes and reasons. And then in the ninth place, a healthy church is made up of men and women who would invite trusted others to examine their lives. Pay attention to their lives. What's going on in their life? Am I living the Christ life well? And that's what uh, these that made the commitment today, many of you that have already made the commitment, we've entered into a covenant with one another that says, Know me. I commit to know you. Let's do life together. Let's walk with Christ well. Let's cooperate with all the transforming stuff He wants to do in us. And let's give one another feedback about how that's coming along. And so by my invitation, there are people that speak into my life about what kind of husband I'm being or what kind of father I'm being or what kind of friend I'm being or what kind of uh, leader in the church I'm being. I get honest feedback and input about those kinds of things, and I give it. And sometimes it's hard things to hear or hard things to say. But we do that because we want what Christ is up to with us more than we want to have a particular kind of image about who we think we are. Listen, if we didn't have this factor at work in us, it'd be Halloween around here all the time. Everybody all dressed up with a mask on, pretending to be somebody they're not. We want to be real and we want to be authentic. And then in the last place, a healthy church made up of men and women who when they fail, when we fail, we are quick to confess to God, confess to others, and to repent, putting sin to death in us. You, you go, Scott, I get the idea, you know, you're supposed to confess to God and repent. But what's this confess to other stuff? I ain't telling nobody. I'm not, I'm not going there. Why would I ever do that? Why would I tell somebody else when I screw up? There's plenty of other times they can see it without me telling them. Why would I? Because, friends, it's in that authentic engagement with one another that I'm building in accountability for my life. That I'm creating deterrence in my life from continuing in broken cyclical patterns. And I do that with trusted others who are in loving covenant with me. I don't do it with just anybody but with trusted others with whom I have covenant. And besides that, God is so committed to me living in the light that He will not allow me to live in the dark for very long. 
without exposing me himself. And you know what? I've just learned through the years, I'd a whole lot rather confess to you and, and, and share with you my fallenness than have God expose me at some point. To get busted by God is a little more difficult than it is when I'm a little more self-disclosing about those kinds of things. All right. When is a church healthy? Well, when you practice in a consistent, regular way these things that I've just discussed, what's your response to that? Let me ask you, do you know Christ? Is He your ultimate treasure? You have that relational engagement with Him that is absolutely changing your life. His Word has become the final authority in all of your experience. Do you follow Him with commitment to His church? He loves His church. He's committed to His church. His plan for impacting and penetrating this world is through His church. Can you have a lesser commitment to His church than Him? What about that? And then finally, will you live in covenant with others in this church if this is the one that He's directed you to? Let's pray about these things together. So, Father, thank You for once again highlighting some things to us about Your church. We sense that in these moments your spirit has brought home truth to our hearts and to our thinking. And as we respond, we want to say yes. Yes to whatever you ask. And so we worship you with yeses right now. In the gracious name of Christ we pray, amen. Amen.